Well, good morning. How you doing this morning? Yeah, ready for Easter? It's coming up. How many of you think you're going to come to the Good Friday service? Raise your hand up. Come early, okay? How many are coming for Easter services? Raise your hand up. Are you inviting a friend? I won't make you raise your hand up, but we want to invite friends, right? You know, uh, on Easter, we'll be closing down this series. It's been an amazing series, and next week, Laura and I are going to share with you together one last encounter with Jesus that I think your friends and neighbors and those around you uh, will just, it'll impact them, it'll impact you. It's a life changer for the Easter service, and I can't wait for that. Good Friday's going to be amazing, too, as we just, uh, you know, remember what Christ did for us. Today, we're going to go on a memorable walk. We've been studying these encounters with Jesus, and we're finding that Maybe the real Jesus isn't what we're worshiping sometimes in this American religion that we've got that kind of looks back and has changed a few things up. Let's get back to the real stuff. And uh, we're going to go on a walk with Peter today. And it's going to be one of the most memorable walks because of what he's walking on and who he's walking with. So let's dive into it. I want you to pull out your worship folder in the middle. I've got some verses for you. If you want to look in your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 14. We'll start with verse 22. Before we do that, let me just catch you up. What's just happened, Jesus was trying to get apart with the disciples because he was really tired, and we can all identify with that. But the crowd found him again, and there were about 20,000 people milling around and got real hungry, and that's when he fed them with the five loaves and the two fish. Then he sends the crowd away, And he sends his disciples across the lake and he gets alone with God. That's what we see in verse 22. Let's read it. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Now the lake here is the Sea of Galilee. It's a body of water 12 and a half miles long, seven and a half miles wide at its widest point. The Jordan River flows into it from the north, flows out of it from the south. So it's a pretty good sized lake, if you will. You know, you think of a lake that size, that's pretty, pretty large. And it's surrounded by hills. And so these sudden storms can, can come in. Verse 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. We see Jesus praying all the time. Night fell while he was there alone. Verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. It's not uncommon on this lake, this Sea of Galilee, as it's surrounded by those hills for these sudden storms to come in and they're pretty ferocious sometimes. It's kind of gale force winds, but they're usually really short-lived. This particular one wasn't and it, it just kept on going, but I want you to notice something about this storm that the disciples were in. Who insisted that they go there? Jesus did. Jesus did. See, a lot of times we hear people today saying, well, if you're right in the center of God's will, you shouldn't experience any storms, anything like that. You know, some of the, the, the greatest storms you'll ever experience is when you're in the center of God's will. Sometimes being in the center of God's will uh, it causes storms around you. And Jesus insisted that they go knowing that they're gonna go into a storm and 
Usually the disciples could row across this, this Sea of Galilee in a couple of hours, but it seems, based on looking at the different gospel accounts, the, the different accounts in the Bible of it, it seems as if the storm began around 8 o'clock p.m., and they're kind of gotten out in the lake a bit, then the storm comes in, and it just keeps on going, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. They've never probably in their lifetime experienced a storm like this. They're rowing out there, and they're getting nowhere. And it probably gets to a point where even these the disciples are going, are we going to make it? You know, I, I, I've, I've wondered why Jesus waited so long while they're in the storm. And we're going to see that he waits most of the night. And, and, and then he comes to them. And I'm kind of thinking maybe it's because a lot of them were fishermen. They thought, well, we got this, we got this got this taken care of, you know, got life down, I'm kind of, I'm doing good, and he waits until they kind of come to the end of their expertise, and they're like, I don't know if we're going to make it this time, this is, this is unusual, this is crazy, and they're starting to get scared. Verse 25, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. I love how the, the Bible is just like, you know, so matter of fact, and then Jesus came walking on the water, you're like, What? I mean, think about that. Some of us have heard this story from the time we were kids. If you've never heard it before, some of you here today, it's kind of like, what? Walking on the water? And we all need to kind of have that, that, that sense of, of wonder, don't we? It, it's interesting because in the book of Mark, this is Matthew, in Mark, the same account, he says this. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus is on this hillside, and he can see down, and even though they're out far into the lake, he can see them in the midst of the storm. Now, they can't see him, but he can see them. Have you ever been in a storm, and it feels like that God's a million miles away? Have you ever think, I'm obeying God the best I know how and all of a sudden I'll go into the storm God what are you doing I don't know where you are I can't figure it out and our feelings you know have you noticed that your feeler is broken did you know that and most of us are depending on our feelings to get our bearings but the Bible says there's a better way to do that and then your feelings will fall into line our next series is going to talk about that we'll start right after Easter it's called mood swingers don't get too excited about it but are you a mood swinger? Yeah. So we're going to see how to control that, all right? We're going to figure out how to, how to do that. But so they're feeling like, Jesus, does anybody care? Does anybody know? Well, I mean, what's going on? Jesus sent us into this storm, and you're rowing like crazy, getting nowhere. I don't know if I'm going to survive it. But Jesus saw them the whole time. See, I want you to, to know that if you're in the middle of a storm right now and you feel like God's a million miles away, it's a lie. It's not true. In fact, those tears last night that you shed in the middle of the night, he was there. He saw them. He sees you. What's more important in a storm, that we see God or that he sees us? I think that he sees us, right? And he knows where we are and he knows what's going on with us. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Now, I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes because if you've heard this, 
it, it just seems like a story that we've heard many times, but I want you to imagine one of the disciples looks out and then he kind of rubs his eyes and he says, there's something out there. I, I, I swear I, I saw some, it looked like somebody out there off the side of the boat out there a few hundred yards away and they're going like, what? And they all start looking and there he is and he's coming right toward them. What would you think? You know, here's Jesus walking on the water toward you. No wonder Matthew says they were terrified and they thought, what is it? It's an apparition. It's a ghost. We don't, maybe we are dead already, you know, and it's like we're seeing ghosts. What's going on? Verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. I love that he didn't leave them terrified. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. I don't want you to miss the force of what Jesus was saying there. He said, I am. I'm God. I'm here. Do you remember, maybe as a child, I remember really distinctly having a nightmare sometimes and waking up scared in the middle of the night. And what would I do? I would not just pull the covers up over me. I would run into my parents' room, dive into their bed, tell them I had a nightmare and I was scared and I remember my mom or dad usually would, if they, they'd be irritated, I'm sure, you know, that I'm in the bed with them, but they didn't show it. They, they would just say, mommy's here. It's okay now. And I knew that that, you know, dread vampire that I was worried about couldn't get me because dad was covering me. Mom had me, you know, it couldn't get to me through them. Now, when I went back to bed, I would still jump from five feet away because it's probably under the bed, you know, I didn't want to reach out and grab me, but um, it's this whole feeling of it's okay now your father's here it's what God's saying God is here you know the, the Bible in several places talks about how God has us in the palm of his hand in one place Jesus said I've got you in my hands and God's got us in his hands it's like this double lock but you know what that says to me if you're walking with Jesus and you're stepped into this journey with him you're still going to have storms. That's, that's what life is about. But none of those things can get to you unless they pass through his fingers of love. You don't know how many things he stopped coming into your life. But that storm that's in your life, because he allowed it to pass through. Now, he didn't cause it. Living in this broken world causes it. This prodigal world that's gotten so far away from God. But if he allows that storm into your life as a believer, there's purpose in it. There's something going on. There's something that he's doing. It's not without purpose. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I I still think, I mean, there's a little bit of this. He's kind of incredulous still, you know, someone walking on the water. He knows it's Jesus, but it's like, okay, if it's you, I want to come and walk to you on the water. Why doesn't Peter, he's so impetuous, you know, he's always putting his foot in his mouth, he's always doing stuff, like he told Jesus, I'll never forsake you, and then he's like the first one, you know, to cuss and swear and deny that he ever knew Jesus, and, and, and why didn't he just jump in the water? I think he's learning something here. He, he's learning that, not to just step out on his own, but he needs to hear Jesus say, yep, come, this is the way. And I think in the darkness, when he asks that, I think Jesus smiles because he loves the risk. He loves what Peter's doing. And verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. Now I want you to put yourself in, 
in Peter's place when Jesus says, come. Gale force winds, waves coming in, you know, trying to swamp the boat. Do you get out of the boat? What do you do? I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, I want to I follow you, Jesus. I want to come to you where you are. I want to, and then, oh, do I really? I mean, that step is a whole different thing, right? Taking that step. See, some of you have thought about taking that step into this journey with Jesus for a long time, but that step is a pretty big step. And you, and you keep hesitating. I want to give you a life truth here. And you might want to write it down somewhere on the side of the notes or something. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water with Jesus, you've got to get out of the boat. Something inside us tells us that there's more to life than just sitting in the boat. What would our boat be? Well, in America today, I think it would be like the American dream that we're going to create this bubble around us that's, that brings comfort and security and just this you know, sense of well-being. We're gonna build up our wealth. We're gonna build up our retirement. We're gonna have everything set. Like we can control events in the world. You know, like we can control events in the economy. That, that, that's why 2007, when everything went crashed down, it was, shook people up so badly. Because all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, something... Is out. I mean, this is not in control. And, and, and we build this boat around us and we want to stay in this boat, our comfort zone, our little American dream. Would you be scared to get out of that boat? Well, you better believe it. I mean, scared is probably not even a good word, maybe terrified. But I want to let you in on a secret of deep water walking. The fear never goes away. In fact, some of you say, if I can just have enough faith, I won't be scared anymore. That's a lie. Again, we've got to tell our feeler the truth, right? Because the Bible talks about how when we begin to act a certain way, the feelings can begin to follow eventually, most of the time, but we don't depend on them. In fact, my wife's life mantra is feel the fear and do it anyway. Did you know that anybody that's ever stepped into this with Jesus, anybody that's ever stepped out of the boat with him has always been afraid every single time? Nobody's not afraid. Now, some people kind of act like that, and some people try to act like if you just have enough faith, you won't fear anymore and, you know, just get up to my level. But the truth was they were scared. And we should just admit it. We should just be real with each other. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is feeling the fear and taking the step that Jesus asked you to take anyway. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Peter realized it's better to be with Jesus without a boat than in a boat without Jesus. And so he steps over the side and he begins to walk. Faith can never be called true faith unless it's accompanied by action. That's what the book of James tells us. Faith without works is dead. That doesn't mean that you can work and please God. You believe what Christ did for you on the cross was sufficient. You receive it. You step into that. But because that is inside of you, you're going to start to take steps. You're going to begin to grow. You're going to begin to follow. 
But sometimes we're waiting. If I can just get enough faith, I'll take the next step. That's not how it works. You take the step. And that is faith. Well, I thought faith was a feeling. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is an action. Just like love is an action. All through the Bible, you know, it talks about love. And in the 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patient, love is kind. And look at all these, it's just action after action after action. You go, well, I'm waiting for that love and feeling. Or I lost that love and feeling. You do these actions and the feelings begin to flood in and follow. So Peter obeyed Jesus' command. He stepped out. And verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Matthew tells us when he saw the wind, he was terrified. But what's crazy is the wind was always there. Uh, I, I mean, the wind was there when he was in the boat. The wind was there when he got out of the boat. And he's walking on the water toward Jesus. And all of a sudden, it says he saw the wind and the waves and he was terrified. See, one of the things that I think a good definition of faith is a hard focus on Jesus and who he is. Because when Peter got out of the boat, he didn't even notice the other stuff because he was focused on Jesus. But it didn't take long for him to get his focus off because this crazy storm was going on. And as soon as he moved on to the circumstances, he's looking around. These giant swamping waves are all around him. He looks down under his feet and it's deep, deep water. And he's thinking, who am I to be doing this? I, I, I mean, th- this is, uh, what am I doing here, Right? Just who do you think you are? You ever been told that? That's what we tell ourselves a lot of times, right? God does this work and our job is to be focused on Jesus because you see the enemy, Peter's enemy wasn't the waves. They had always been there. It wasn't the gale force wind. It had always been there. His enemy became losing his focus on Jesus and looking around at that because it was irrelevant to Jesus how deep the water was. It was irrelevant to Jesus how strong the wind was. He was walking on the water through all of that. You know, in all of the history of community of faith from 2003 when we just started in our living room with our kids to to today, we've never had a church conference on how to grow a great church because when I go to those conferences, and I don't know if people are just making up stuff or if they're really, they seem, everybody seems so much sharper than me, you know? I'm like, man, how did they think of that? Wow, how did they do that? Oh my goodness, no wonder they have a great church. And then I would just, I always came away discouraged, you know, because I would start to say, who do I think I am? I remember one time this group of young guys that were wanting to start churches, one of my friends finally talked me into having them over for an afternoon and they sat down and talked to me and the staff and when they got through, I'm pretty sure they didn't get anything out of the whole day, you know, that was worthwhile. Uh, But I overheard one of them saying as they were leaving, well, if he can do it, I think I can do it. (laughs) Which might be the best thing you can get out of a, you know, wow, I feel pretty good about myself right now. But that, I mean, what are the, it's it's a God thing. You just gotta, you stay focused on God. He does what he wants to do. And, and, And I've begun to realize that. He lost his concentration on Jesus and he began to sink. And we do that every single time. But at this point, we see the difference between a man who hides his problem and one who admits it. 
he's going under. Some of you are going under right now. In fact, some of you are going under for the last time. It's like the third time. Going under, not going to come up again. Maybe your marriage or your finances or just your personal life. Maybe the depression that you're feeling or the addiction that you're in. Are you hiding it? People ask you, how are you doing? Excellent. Really, you're going like, last time, going under. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you can be healed. See, as long as we're going under, we're not admitting it, nothing can happen. But as soon as we begin to just say, I'm going under, I need someone to pray for me. Jesus, I need you. God, I need you. Things begin to happen. In fact, Peter prays here the shortest prayer in the Bible. Save me, right? That's a pretty short prayer. I think most of the most sincere prayers are short, you know? They're not long. Peter didn't go, oh, thou great God of heaven and the universe, you know, trying to impress Jesus as he's sinking. It was just a quickie. It was just like, help. I remember in Mexico City, we'd been there a few months, and I, for the first time in my life, I'd never had seizures. I had a grand mall seizure and I didn't even know what had happened you know but I was on the ground and then when my eyes opened Laura's going like Jesus Jesus and I was like why is she calling me Jesus (laughs) she wasn't calling me Jesus that was her prayer she said that was the shortest prayer she ever prayed and and uh, you know I, I remember going being rushed by ambulance to the hospital they were trying to figure out what was going on and in Mexico, it's so interesting because at the hospital they said, they came in like the next day, goes, do not worry. We think we know what it is. You just have worms in your brain. <laughs> okay. I remember my, my sister-in-law, Chris, Carrie's wife, called me and she said, she said, so what do they think it is? I said, oh, they don't really know yet. He goes, no, really, what do they think it is? Oh, I don't think they know yet, you know. What is it? Don't they have any idea? They think it might be worms in my brain. <laughs> and she was going, worms in your brain! You know, that's how Americans react to that, okay? The good thing was, like three days later, they did all these tests, and I still remember the doctor coming in. Mr. Shook, we have looked in your head and found nothing. <laughs> Which my wife said, I was pretty sure that was the case all along. <laughs> But that short prayer, Jesus saved me, okay? The good news is that you don't have to pray long prayers. God's right here. Help me. And a hand comes through the rain and pulls him up. And the message is clear. As long as Jesus is one of many options, he's really not an option. As long as you can carry your burdens by yourself, you don't really need a burden bearer. As long as your situation brings you no grief, you don't need any comfort. As long as you can take him or leave him, you might as well leave him because he's got to be everything. You take him as everything. He won't be taken half-heartedly. But when you get to that point where you have no other option, when you get to that, that, that place where there's truly no other name under heaven, 
by which you can be saved and you cast your cares on him, he is faithful. He walks with you in the midst of the storm and he catches you when you fall and when you fail. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? In our English version, we get, you know, I I love the translations of the Bible. You know, it comes Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament is written in Greek. And you get the idea, you have so little faith. But that sounds kind of judgy, doesn't it? And, And sometimes we as as believers have really taken that on and you, well, you just had enough faith. You have so little faith. Sounds like Jesus is saying, it's five words, you have so little faith in English, the translation. You know what it is in Greek? It's like a nickname, little faith. It's one word, little faith. And Jesus is going like, little faith, why did you doubt me? And it's a whole different thing. Some of you are from the, you know, the, the Latino culture and and when Laura and I went to Costa Rica and Mexico, everybody loves little nicknames there. And they look at you and they'll find something about you and they'll call you that, you know. And I remember my best pastor friend, he called his wife Gordita, which means little fatty. And I thought, that would not work in the U.S. of A, very... You know, I mean, not except in the Latin culture. You know, gordita, little fatty. And, and he would always say, hey, little fatty, come over here. And, and it would just freak me out every time. You know, I remember when we first went to, to uh, Costa Rica in this really difficult place. It, it was called the Cave of the Frog. <laughs> and, and it was a place where other people wouldn't go. But we started, a, you started this, this community center there that was amazing. And they, but they always called me a nickname. And they called me... Pelon, most of the time, which just means baldy, you know. Pelon, uh, Pelon's back, Pelon's back. And I didn't mind that until the day that I guess I'd put on a little bit of weight and they called me Panson that day, which is big tummy, okay? Hey, big tummy's back. And I was going like, hey, what happened to Pelon, you know? <laughs> most of the time they called me El Pollo Grande, the big chicken. I have no idea why. I don't even know what that was. I think it's somebody said he's the big chicken one time, you know, and you know he's the big chicken around here, and, and so they they thought my name was Pollo Grande. I remember one little girl going, "Oh, Pollito, I love you," you know, and I was like, "Little chicken, I love you," you know, and I'm, I'm just going, "No, it's not Pollo. That's not my name." Does God have a nickname for you? See, I think that's what he was doing. Ah, oh, little faith. Maybe that's the name he'd have for you. Or, or maybe it's, oh, little scaredy, little procrastinating. I made that one up. That's not a very good one, but <laughs> you always say you're going to do it. You're going to get around to it, right? Little talk's a big game, little judgy. I think you have to give Peter credit because he was willing to do what no one else could do. I don't, I don't think Jesus was condemning him for that. I, I think probably it was more of a term of endearment. Oh, little faith, why did you doubt me? Before we're too hard on Peter, think about the other 11 guys. They're still in the boat, right? They never got out. It's not the story of James walking on the water or John walking on the water or Matthew who wrote this walking on the water. It's Peter because he's the only one that got out of the boat. Now, if he had lasted a little longer, they might have got out too, right? But he didn't and they didn't get out of the boat. He's the only one that did it. Christ 
called what was going on in his heart doubt. He said, little faith, why did you doubt? And see, I don't think he's saying, why did you look at the wind and the waves and doubt? I think that he covered that with little faith, okay? I think he was saying, I saw in your heart and you didn't know if I was going to save you or not. But I'm always going to reach down and pull you up. I'm always going to care for you. See, Peter was going under and he's thinking, I failed, I'm a failure, I'm worthless. What's the point? God, I'm not worthy of... And God's not, uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't you doubt my heart. Don't you dare doubt my heart for you. And see, some of you this morning, that's what he would want to say. You're doubting my heart. You're thinking I'm not there. You're thinking I don't care. You're, you're, you're thinking that, you know, God, I don't know what you're doing, so you must not be good. Don't doubt. Why did you doubt? You lost sight of me, but that doesn't mean that I'm not here to lift you up. Some of you, you think, man, I've messed up again for the 98th time, and God is probably sick of hearing from me. Don't doubt my heart for you. I'm still here. I'm still here. Call to me and see what I do. I can't tell you how many people have failed and fallen and all of a sudden they're not here at Community of Faith anymore. And then when I finally find them, they say, oh, well, I'm not worthy. And I said, what are you talking about? We all have fallen and failed. Get back up here and be with us. Because you're part of the completing us. You're part of who we are. You get, and so don't, we don't judge. We, we pull back, pull them in, come back. That's what it's all about. Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Think about that for a minute. I mean, it's gale force. Everything's blowing. And as soon as Jesus steps into the boat, the sea's like glass. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. What are the lessons that, that we can learn from this? Peter writes one of them for us in his little book. He wrote a couple of little books at the end of the New Testament, little letters to us. And in 1 Peter 4.19, he says this. It's really interesting. Just listen. I didn't write it down for you, so listen. And if it's true that we're living in a time of judgment, then those who suffer according to God's will can only commit their souls to their faithful creator and keep on doing all the good they can. If we're living in a time of judgment, those who suffer according to God's will can only commit their souls to their faithful creator and keep on doing all the good they can. He was writing to these people. They're in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is beginning to collapse. As the Roman Empire and the morality of the Roman Empire and all that's going on, the barbarians around the gates, as it's beginning to go under, it's a time of judgment upon that civilization. But you live in the middle of the civilization. And if God is doing something, and you're in the middle of it too, you're going to feel it too. But trust God. He's still in charge. He's still good. If God says, you know what would be the best thing for America? 
is that the economy just crashes and totally burns because people will realize their little bubble isn't safe and they will come to me with all that they are and it'll be a great time of turning back to God. It's a little too safe. And it's, I'm not saying he's gonna do that. I'm just saying, what if he chooses to do that? Do you think because you're a believer that your 401k won't crash with everybody else's? That's so weird. It all crashed, but his, his didn't crash. He's a Christian. It doesn't work that way, does it? But when yours goes down, do you doubt? Is God good? What's God doing? I don't understand what's happening. God, I don't. You see, I just want to have you ready for whatever's coming because Peter, that's what he got out of all of this experience. He said, if we're living in a time of judgment, we're going to feel it, but God's still good. So what do you do when you feel that, when you don't know what to do? He said, you just take the next step. You keep doing all the good you can. In the midst of all of it, you keep on holding on and moving forward and it's such an important thing. To, my dad has always said it to me like this, even from the time I was a teenager. He goes, when you're walking through hell, keep walking. Because when you sit down, it burns. <laughs> right? I think that's pretty good advice. Some of us, even right now in our personal lives, or our financial lives, it feels like we're walking through hell, but keep walking. Take that next, God, I believe you. I'm gonna take it one more step. I'm gonna, just one more step. Just one more step. The water that threatens to be over our heads is under Christ's feet. I think that's a big one. And as we encounter the storms and situations, no matter how painful those storms and situations of life, they're under Christ's control. The wind won't stop blowing. The waves will rise ever higher. But we keep our eyes on Jesus and keep walking. The waters that threaten to drown you are the waters upon which Christ is walking. See, I want us to learn the lesson of the kudzu vine. Have you seen the kudzu vine? Do you know what that is? You might want to look it up. It's that, it was introduced from Japan. It was supposed to be a little garden thing and then it went crazy all over the south of the United States. And then when you see those, those you know, little forest areas and it's just covered in vines, that's a kudzu vine. But what the kudzu does is it grows up the side of the mighty oak and it's secure there. In the midst of the biggest storm, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the kudzu vine because if the wind is blowing from the other side, the mighty oak covers it, protects it. And if the wind is blowing from the side on which the kudzu vine is, it just presses the kudzu vine closer into the oak and it finds protection there. See, sometimes the storms come and God does something amazing. He stands between us and the storm. And you sense it and you know it. That's when it's not hard to have faith. It, it, it's easy. God, you're so good. You're so big. You're so strong. I see this giant storm and you're just blocking it. You're blocking it so it just goes around. Wow, wow. But sometimes through his fingers of love he allows a storm to come in that just hits us head on I want you to allow that storm to press you closer into him 
See, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to go, God, where are you? God, I don't understand. God, I thought you were gonna, and he's going, no, let it push you into me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I wanna walk closer with you. Jesus, I don't, press me into you. Laura told me again the other day, she said I would, she was still feeling some of the effects from back when she had cancer those years ago. 10 years cancer free, amazing, right? clap for that but she says the craziest things she said I wouldn't give up that time that I had cancer and I didn't know if I was going to live or die I wouldn't give up that time for anything the, the difference in my relationship with God now is night and day and I'm like looking like I would have given that up easy you know even just being on the outside but I get it I want you just to close your eyes with me for a minute. I don't know where you are because life is hard. Let's just be honest, right? My dad used to pastor a church and, you know, a, a traditional church that had those pews. And he'd always say, in every pew, there's a heartache. I pretty much say today, in every chair out here today, right? You feel it storms of life I guess the biggest thing I want you to ask yourself am I doubting God's heart for me and if you are just tell him you're sorry and then take that next small step I don't even feel like doing it Mark I didn't say that faith isn't a feeling Faith is that next little step. What is it? What does it look like? Some of you, you've had this dream in your heart to do something for God. I want to just challenge you to go home this week and think, what would I do for God if I knew that I could not fail? And then take a little step toward doing it. Because that's probably the dream that God has for you. If it's for you to be great, for you to be known, for you to, that might be your dream. But if it's all about God and making a difference in this broken world for him, it's probably a God dream. And some of us have been sitting in the boat for a really long time. It's appointed unto mankind once to die. On the day that you get there, I don't want you to look, I'm still sitting in the dang boat. <laughs> I want you to have walked on water at some point in your life. And that's my dream for you as your pastor, that we find ourselves in the most amazing place walking on water with our Lord Jesus. God, I ask this. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in and through us and let nothing stop your dreams for us. Forgive us, God, because it's been especially tough of late and we felt like you're a million miles away and We've acted like it. You're right here. You saw our tears last night. We love you for that. Strengthen us as we take this next small step. Show us clearly what it is and let us hear you say, yes, come. And let us take it. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.